thing where I answered it on the computer. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, on the phone. The phone. Yeah. The phone, eh? The okay. phone, the small computer. When do I press record? Also, I'm sick, so I apologize for that. Oh, uh, no. Never apologize for being sick. You didn't do it to yourself. Your child no. did it to you. You did do it to me. Uh, there's some there's some advice that some parent gave us about how remember that your spouse isn't the enemy the baby is the enemy <laughs> the baby is the enemy the baby <laughs> wants to harm you yes Interesting. Baby. even if the baby turns the spouse against you remember <laughs> he's the cute enemy <laughs> uh, all right let's sync up all right ready yeah. okay we should be good Cool. Yeah. So here's what I'm thinking we're going to go over today. Uh, so I think we're going to start by talking about what's going on with you. Oh, yeah. Because I think there's a lot going on with you. <laughs> yeah. Seems like it. <laughs> I think we should talk about that. Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, then we should talk about platform cucking, which we teased last episode and go through the theories on platform cucks. I like it. Okay. Uh, and then I think we might talk about this uh, this meditation mushroom trip yeah, that I yeah. just did. I, I want to hear all about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and some things around that that kind of, or at least like things I was thinking about that I wanted to get on the pod mm -hmm. as far as the stuff that we talk about. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think that's probably going to be plenty of an episode. But okay. uh, if not, you know, like there's stuff like Jack Dorsey going on his interview tour talking about Twitter, talking about Twitter versus all these other things uh, and where it's trying to position itself. I don't know. That could color stuff too. But uh, I think we're going to have plenty. Okay. Let's do it. Sound good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Let's do this. Okay. Ethan. First thing I want to talk to you about. Mm -hmm. What the fuck has been going on in your life <laughs> in the last week? <laughs> it's seeming, seemingly to me insane. <laughs> it has been. I guess I should recapitulate because some people listening will, will know all about it. And yeah. the people from your world, the comedy world, might might not know anything about it. If yeah, so we should this. definitely recap what's been going on. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So now I'm trying to do that as succinctly as I can. The most succinct version that I can offer is that I wrote something about an NBA superstar that the NBA superstar did not want me to write about. That is the most right. succinct uh, version. But to do the full recap, I wrote about how a lot of the league expects Kevin Durant on the Golden State Warriors uh, to not re-sign with the Warriors, and there also is, internally with the Warriors, not a lot of confidence that he's going to re-sign with the Warriors, and that many in the league think that he is headed to the New York Knicks. Um, and there are other details in the article and, and, and some of the explanation of why he might do that, because a lot of fans, I think, respond with, he's won two championships, they're going to win a third championship, why the hell would he leave to go to a dysfunctional Knicks organization? It doesn't make a lot of sense. So I talked about how this journey for him, while it's been good for the winning, hasn't exactly been good for his status. He didn't replace LeBron as the top guy. So th th those are some of the elements in that particular article. Now, what brought the article about 
to do a little bit of backtracking is that Durant at the time that the Knicks opened up a bunch of cap space, it's the thing that allows for people who don't know would allow them to sign major free agents. They made a trade to give themselves the money to do it. Many around the league said it was about Durant. So Right, so the Knicks the Knicks are making moves to make it clear that they have an opening for a big player. Yeah. And uh, the big player that everybody would think like who it could be would be Kevin Durant since even though the Warriors rule, he is kind of just one of many superstars on that team at this point and he's and, not becoming the biggest superstar in the world, which I suppose is his want. Yeah, and I, you know, there are other elements to it too. His agent is a is a New Yorker and tweeted, "I'm gonna run the Knicks one day." Last year, and has never deleted that tweet. So that's that's kind of interesting. Um, and the Knicks, I, I think he it was, tweeted, "I'm gonna run the Knicks one day." Yes, yes. And the Knicks actually put out a season ticket promo asking for renewals for next season. That was a picture of one of their young players facing off against Kevin Durant. As a little wink, wink, nod, nod, you know what's coming next next season. So, you know, a lot of interesting elements. So, um, concurrent with the Knicks opening up this cap space a little over a week ago, Kevin Durant disappears. Players in the NBA are supposed to be available for media once a day if the team is available. And it is in a press conference setting. Um, now, obviously, I could understand why this could be a dreary process or why they would want to do it all the time. But they generally, at least in the Warriors context, get asked very, I don't want to say sycophantic questions. Let's just say the kinds of questions you get asked when all you do is win all the time. The, mm -hmm. the, the type of questions that are, you know, oh, how good does it feel to win? Pretty good. Great. <laughs> uh, you're pretty great. That's fantastic. How did this win feel compared to the other win? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How does how did all these wins stack up relative to one another? So, um, by the way, I like doing this. It just I, there's something more fun about talking to you about it than talking to I, on all the sports on all the sports talk uh, channels. But that, that, yeah, that, well, that's this is real. Right. That's all. This fake. is real shit. This is two <laughs> friends who knew each other since two they were kids. Just talking about the real shit that's going on. Just talking about real shit. So <laughs> he disappears for. I believe, let's call it eight and a half days, not doing his contractually obligated media. He just is AWOL. And speculation is building about what the hell is this? This is very strange. It's very strange. And I think a lot of fans might think, well, I, don't, I wouldn't want to talk to the media, so I understand. But again, it's not that onerous a process to do the press conference. It's five minutes of blah, blah, blah. He's been asked about free agency, by the way, as far as we can tell. Maybe somebody can find it in the LexisNexis, but our Tim Kawakami asked him in preseason in September about free agency, and I don't know of any other Bay Area media people in these press conference settings asking him about it. So it's not like he's getting bombarded with these kinds of questions. But he disappears. It's very strange. So I write this article. Um, and given that he has a reputation for reading things and not liking a lot of what he reads. I assume that there wouldn't be that great uh, a response to it. Uh, first day back, he doesn't, he doesn't, he skips out on the media session uh, in shoot around. Then after that night's game, he walks to the podium. They have this sort of general press conference they can do. He walks to the podium. And at that point, at that point, I'm thinking there's about a 50-50 shot that he really goes after me. And he really went after me, Matt. That, that's what happened. He, uh, you know, became a viral moment where he... I'm trying to even remember what it all was. There, there, there yeah, were I mean, various... this is shocking. Here, I'll play a clip right here. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you can play a clip. You can play a clip right here. 
bothering you more this year? Is it louder this year? It's unnecessary. You got to do Ethan Strauss who come in here and <clears throat> just give his whole opinion on stuff and make it seem like it's coming from me. And he just walk around here, don't talk to nobody, just walk in here and survey and then write something like that. And now y'all piling on me because I don't want to talk to y'all about that. I have nothing to do with the Knicks. I don't know who traded Porzingis. They got nothing to do with me. I'm trying to play basketball. Y'all come here every day, ask me about free agency, ask my teammates, my coaches, you rile up the fans about it. Y'all let us play basketball. That's all I'm saying. And now when I don't want to talk to you, um, it's a problem with me. So, <laughs> so, yeah, so as you can hear, the the man, this superstar multi-million dollar uh, basketball hero calls out my good friend Ethan in front of the world. Yeah. And then I wake up the next day. I remember because I was talking to you. I was like, we were trying to schedule doing a, a recording. And you're like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to tomorrow. My shit's kind of fucked up right now. Yeah. And I was like, all right, sure, whatever. So I was kind of keeping tabs on what was going on. And then, yeah, sure enough, uh, like this is a trending topic in Los Angeles. Uh, everybody's <laughs> talking about this. And, uh, you know, I was very excited to show Julie in the morning that Ethan was called out by name. <laughs> what I love is that Julie, knowing wife, Julie, Julie. Might, not have, might not have cared at all. I think Julie might have shrugged. <laughs> Julie, every, everyone thought that this was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> everybody thought it was interesting. Everyone so, thought this was interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I just remember thinking during the press conference at one point, this is getting kind of crazy. I mean, this is, this is, <laughs> he's asking me, but it's who funny are you? Because, like, as an outsider, me reading the article, and I told you this, I was like, I don't think this is a big deal. I mean, like, I understand you're like breaking some news and talking about something, but you come off kind of like positively. You're like, everybody just wants Durant to have fun. Everybody mm -hmm. just wants to have fun. Everyone we just, all hates just want you to be We all just want you to be happy, Kevin. Yeah, can the whole article is that everybody just wants Durant to be happy. And then can he was not happy. Yeah, can you just be happy, Kevin? Um, I'm trying to remember the other things. He. It, it was strange. I mean, I don't want to get into the rabbit hole of, of the whole deal because I think something I'm learning is that the amount of time that you spend thinking about yourself and your reputation is inversely correlated to your own happiness. So hmm. the more I chase this down or think, well, what he said about me was unfair and, you know, this is this is the thing. I, 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 just to go through this whole thing, this thing blows up. People are, are talking about it on television. Um, and there's a natural inclination to try to keep tabs on the whole thing. And so in the morning, I, I hear, you know, I think I heard from um, was it maybe Grayson Moyer or Packy Forey, who, who went to really? middle school and high school with us. I, I'm trying to remember which of them said that Dan Patrick, a uh, famous talk radio star, former sports center anchor in the 90s, Dan Patrick, was saying good things about me. So I'm, I'm watching <laughs> it. I'm like, yeah, Dan Patrick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 90 sports center ruled. You rule, Dan Patrick, and then and then I see that that, that Tracy McGrady, Hall of Famer, uh, was, was somebody says that Tracy McGrady was, was was shitting on you. He was saying bad things about you, and I'm going, oh, boo, Tracy McGrady, boo, <laughs> boo. Um, and then, you know, Stephen A. Smith, Stephen A. Smith, maybe the most prominent sports pundit of them all, who once had a standoff with Kevin Durant where he said, you don't want to make an enemy out of me, famously, but was sort of saying some good things and saying some bad things and saying that I should have I should have uh, I should have really defended my credibility and my credentials and I'm going well, I don't know how to feel about that and then I th start thinking to myself what am I what am I doing 
Yeah, all this is insane. Is it possible for a human being to even handle all of this? This is madness. This is complete madness. We are not evolved to deal with it. In a way, I think it would be worse if I had done something um, obviously wrong and and shameworthy, right? Because Mm -hmm. then you just avoid all of it. You wouldn't try to get any sort of morsel, any kind of ego biscuit uh, from this particular bulk bin. Or to make another food analogy, I, I I like analogies of reservoirs since so much is blended together where... And I think Kevin Durant's like this. You just want to drink from the cool fountain of compliment. You know, you right. just want you want compliment after compliment. That's all you want from this. But the problem is that in order to look at the good and seek out the good, you are going to get the bad, and you are going to get the cat turds in that particular fountain flavoring your your, your water, right? Yeah, and only well, a little good. bit, only a little bit ruins the entire experience. It doesn't. It doesn't mm. really. It doesn't really need to be too much to make you feel badly because we just react more to the bad than we do to the good. When we feel attacked, we get in that fight or flight uh, versus when we're complimented and that just it, – it, we just – you know, there's a hole in our – there's a void in us that just doesn't accept the compliment and feel satiated by it. So, yeah, well, we want good to be neutral. We want, like, mm-hmm. everything to always be good and, like, we are always good people. And uh, when people say good things about us, it's like, well, that's the nat- that's the natural state of things. Yeah. <laughs> when really we're all just kind of like doing nothing and it, we should appreciate when somebody says something nice to us and when we do something good uh, and yeah. not let when some when somebody says something bad, get us down too much. Yeah, I, I think so. It would be nice if we could all be there. But for whatever reason, we are not. And I think I got a little bit of an insight into the particular modern madness of celebrity. Um, I am not a famous person. I, I, I got a little bit of a, a test drive of it for a week. It, it doesn't seem like a particularly pleasant experience. Even the good parts are just so unfulfilling. When you get into that narcissism trap of looking for what people are saying about you, strangers on these boxes, on these screens, it doesn't feel near as fulfilling as doing something nice for my wife or doing something nice for mm-hmm. my son. It's not a road to happiness, not by a long shot. And I also was thinking about how it's amazing that status is just so unrewarding in the modern culture. And social media, it's become a cliche to attribute it for so much, but it's true. It seems like being a celebrity in the 60s maybe or in the 50s was probably far superior to what it is today, where <laughs> let's think about it. If you're Kevin Durant, he doesn't seem very happy. He's he's yeah. at the height of his profession. He's an incredible basketball player. He has hundreds of millions of dollars, worldwide fame. He's worried about something I'm saying. That doesn't seem great. That doesn't seem to be the best place to be in. Jeff Bezos, richest man in the world. Does it protect him necessarily from pictures of his penis winding up on the internet? Uh, maybe not. So why are there no winners, Matt? Why are we at the point where there's no winning even for the biggest winners among us? Yeah, well, it's funny. We made this machine that lets more people than ever before be seen by all other people because I think we all think that being seen and being able to be complimented by all other people is good. I guess, you know, it's like the 15 minutes of fame. Everybody wants their 15 minutes of fame. Everybody's going to get their 15 minutes of fame. And now it's like everybody's going to get their like 15 seconds of retweet mm. or something. And so it's like these those moments that even could happen, even if fame did make you happy, the moments of fame now are so short and fleeting and whisked away 
that even if they did make you happy, it's for a very short amount of time. But that never solved the problem that actually it's not clear if it does make you happy at no, all. No, it do, it's, it's, it's not clear at all that it does. But at the same time, there seems to be a danger in being naive to what's going on and said around you. I felt some kind of responsibility to understand the conversation about me just because I need to manage my own reputation to a certain yeah. extent. And I can't just be blind and be saying things that might mean, I mean, there, there's this, you can trip into a context. I remember years ago, years ago, uh, there was a shooting in a Colorado theater. Uh, I think it was, it was showing the dark night. Um, and it was, I guess, earlier on in Twitter, but so many people were, or was it that Bane movie? Not the dark Knight. It was the, it was the dark Knight rises. <laughs> This is so, definitely not the detail of this that anybody's going to... No, nobody cares. We should get held up on. <laughs> nobody cares. But, you know, a horrible shooting. But earlier that evening, earlier that evening, I had some stupid tweet. I don't even know. Some hipstery tweet about... Because so many people were talking about spoilers and arguing about spoilers for The Dark Knight Rises. And I think I said something to the effect of, spoiler alert, uh, we, all, we, we all die. We all die in the end. Or some stupid, stupid thing about how, spoiler alert, we're all going to die. And... And you tweeted Some, that before you walked into that Colorado theater and shot well, it up? Even. That's insane. Oh God, Matt, too soon, Matt, too soon. But, <laughs> but I tweeted it hours before this thing happened, and I happened to be awake at the time somebody who followed me, who I think was a good Samaritan, actually messaged me, hey, I saw the timing, I know that you didn't mean it, but you should know that people are going to connect this and you should delete it so it doesn't cause any issues for you. And I appreciated it. And I deleted it, but I thought to myself, what if I hadn't been watching the news and I, you know, it was the next day and I hadn't been watching the news and I just tweet this same stupid tweet out. Nobody would believe me when I said that I didn't even understand the context of it and it would mm. just be a pile on. And so there is. So you're saying, well, the, with, with this is this is interesting because it, it, it does get to a very small part of this thing that like we all feel like it, it's like you can't just opt out of social media. Like that's one of like the traps and the fallacies yeah. of like complaining about Twitter or like complaining about Facebook. And people are like, well, then just leave. And it's like, well. I mean, yeah, and it does solve a lot of problems if you do that, but there's this sense that like this is now the mainstream that we're all dipping in and out of, and you've got to kind of be aware of it. Yes, yeah. It'd be dangerous not to be aware of it. You see so many mistakes made, especially maybe by older people, where they just don't understand. I mean, here's one. Here's a crazy one I remember. Um, I remember at the time Black Lives Matter started to get going that there were a variety of older retired athletes who found themselves in some kind of controversy older retired black athletes because they weren't on twitter they didn't know it was fashionable and they were asked about it and they would say something to the effect the most intuitive thing one would say of yeah black lives matter all lives matter we all need to be talking to each other i remember alan iverson i think got into this and jerry rice got into this mm. and Everybody pounced on them like they knew that saying all lives matter was the rebuttal to black lives matter and was seen as, I don't know, some kind of regressive thing to say, as opposed to just a very intuitive thing one might say, 
and they just didn't they, they these guys just aren't on Twitter all day these retired athletes they're middle aged they're just not they're not following it but that there there isn't enough awareness inside the bubble of social media to understand that those outside of it might not understand the entire context and it's this idea that they're choosing by saying these things so yes you 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 get into pratfalls if you're not aware of this entire intricate crazy conversation yeah and I, I guess this is something that people complain about especially like older people or whatever where it's like times are changing and they are changing quite fast and they're changing a lot fast because of social media in a lot of ways and because of like the effect of the internet but if you're not choosing to jump into the streams that are going on you know you <laughs> you wouldn't know necessarily like what is and isn't like okay to say right now and what is and isn't contextually charged right now so, you know, I, and I mean, like some of these examples are obviously things that like people should have been aware of. You know, nobody thinks that like just because you don't know about the Me Too movement doesn't mean that you should be able to sexually harass people. But, you know, there's like fine lines within like all of this kind, these kinds of things. Uh, what was one? Oh, that stupid song over Christmas that everybody was fucking like obsessed, upsetting about the baby. It's cold outside. Oh, right? yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't yeah, follow like, that one completely. I've never listened to the full lyrics of that song, but I saw God, the, it, the whole. Don't, it, it doesn't matter. It was like uh, <laughs> the context around that song changed. The intent behind making the song was always the same, which was a, yeah. like a, a, a married couple came up with that song for fun because they both liked it and liked singing it at parties. Mm. But now 40, 50 years later, suddenly the context around it has changed such that like if like a relative or somebody or a boss played it at their workplace in like a Christmas playlist, you know, people would have been like, whoa, whoa, I, you should skip this song, you know, <laughs> like that. And which is like, it's so easy to have missed that message <laughs> yeah yeah I'm, I'm 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 trying to figure out a way to tether us back to uh whatever the controversy with, with so what durant. happened to you yeah i don't know yeah, if so I can. you yeah so you you molested kevin durant you me too oh kevin matt. durant oh god matt 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 you're gonna create even more trouble for me matt um well what was interesting about it to you from this outsider's perspective because we should be clear to the people you are not a sports fan. In fact, you uh, once castigated me when we were living together in New York. Uh, just you, you just asked me as I was watching basketball, why do you why do you even do this? What, what is this? Uh, so, from an outsider's perspective, uh, did you have any thoughts on this whole thing? Yeah, it, it to me it was interesting. One, I thought the things that I found very interesting about it were that you were just doing your job. You were doing a good job as a journalist. Mostly I was just really proud of you because from like an outsider perspective, just knowing about journalism and writing and things, I thought you had done a really good job. Uh, and the fact that you like caused a stir, I think, it's, is like part it's sad of sad that. that that compliment does nothing for me, Matt. Nothing at all. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. <laughs> but if I told you you did a bad job, it would end. Oh, it would sting. <laughs> oh, right in the kidney. <laughs> so, yeah, it was just interesting where there were all these people who had like takes on you. I was just like searching around, just seeing what people were saying. And it's really funny that like the worst thing people were saying was like, oh, no, Ethan's going to make Kevin Durant leave the Warriors. <laughs> Shut up, Ethan. Don't ruin this. It's all so fragile. 
don't do the wrong thing. And oh, man. It was like, I, he, he, <laughs> Ethan's just doing his job. Also, like, all these fuckers are stuck with you, man, longer than they're <laughs> stuck with Kevin Durant. It's like, uh, you better start appreciating Ethan because he's going to be covering the Warriors a lot longer than Durant's going to be on the Warriors. That, that might uh, just heighten that might just heighten the resentment. That might be... Uh, <laughs> that I might, guess... Uh, <laughs> because I did listen to the Louis C.K., the leaked routine that was very controversial, and people fixated on the very controversial parts, but there was this funny thing that he said about when you fall from grace, they say it's good that you learn who your real friends are, and to which he said, and I'm paraphrasing about the comedic timing, that I don't want to learn who my real friends are, and and and... <laughs> And, and what if the, those aren't the ones I would have chosen, you know, that they say, I'm with you, and you're going, Ugh. I mean, there might be an element of that where the Bay Area is going, I wanted Kevin Durant to be my real friend, not Ethan. <laughs> Ethan, yeah, Ethan, is, Ethan is not nearly as good as uh, basketball as Kevin Durant is. Yeah, but you're good. I mean, I don't know. They should feel lucky that they've got a good journalist covering a good team. Like, you know, it's not going to be like that forever. So I thought that was nice. The, so here was what I kind of wanted to talk about, actually, that kind of that has to do with the stuff that we cover. And it's like maybe taking an eye off like the ball as far as what's interesting to most people. But it's what's interesting to me, which is the subscription. The fact that you wrote this for a subscription publication. Yes. And you a lot of the criticism around you was that like, oh, Ethan's just making clickbait headlines. He's just making, he's doing clickbaity stuff to get clicks over to the athletics so that they can get subscribers. I really thought it was very funny how many people uh, were tweeting about this, but also were like, I can't, what what's going on? I can't read this because I don't have a subscription. <laughs> the <laughs> number of people get... who were like, I just, <laughs> I've just imagined like the number of like screenshots being texted between friends. Of like one person who has the subscription and people who don't was like, you know, spiked that day uh, for that article. But so what was interesting to me is like you went out on a limb, you did something kind of big. And then I was really pleased to see the athletics stand by you. And not to like suck the athletics dick or anything like that. I, you know, I don't fuck give two shits about the athletic, I guess, other than that they pay my friend to live. But they, <laughs> I think that it was cool that they like they seem to stand by you very strongly. And uh, th that seemed to me like a really good way for an institution to be, especially a journalistic one. And I, I wondered if they hadn't been a subscription organization in the same way, if it would have played out that way. Oh, that's a really interesting um, observation. Uh, because I, I didn't even think about that. I was just happy about my colleagues and my bosses uh, for, for doing that, and um, I, I like working there. But I do wonder if the subscription model allows you a little more security than, than worrying about the click economy. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not going to try and be overly critical of other publications, but there does seem to be a lot of superstar supplication going on um, in sports media and this idea of I need to be nice to you because you are such a such a big force out there and you're going to help me um, and I'm getting dangerously close to beginning to reveal things I shouldn't reveal about conversations uh, that, that I've had in the aftermath of this with players um, but I, I do wonder if the subscription model allows us to just stand our ground and go, no, this is what's going on right now. Uh, there's nothing to apologize for. And if Kevin has an issue with it, then Kevin has an issue with it. We're not doing it to make Kevin feel badly, but we're not going to be dissuaded just because he's mad. That's something that the Warriors might have to worry about. That isn't necessarily something that we have to worry about.
Yeah, but it, it, it didn't seem like, I mean, I don't know, even though it, it was something that drove attention, it didn't seem to me to be clickbaity. It seemed to me to be a legitimate article that people wanted to, like, read. By the and way, then, I tried to write it well, just as an aside. I tried to I tried to write write good. Um, just, you know, people <laughs> yeah, talk even about everyone knows that you try to write good. <laughs> <laughs> me try to write good. I'm just saying, if it was pure clickbait, it, 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 I would have put a little less effort in it. Is all is all I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, you would have used a little a little fewer of uh, Ethan's ten dollar words. <laughs> yeah, I would have. It would have been they would have been five dollar words at best. Um, well, okay, <laughs> these are so, subscription only words. These ones. Yeah, but you know, I think in the context of, uh, I I felt a need to respond just because it was a story. My my boss Tim Kalakami asked me that night, "Are you gonna?" Are you going to write? And at first I didn't really, I was just processing everything that was happening. And uh, I, I was like, I don't know. But then that night I wrote a response just because I felt as though I needed to. And I also felt, okay, so I'm writing this book about the Warriors. What better time to make this work for me? And just to say, hey, you know, I'm working on this book as well. So there's more where this came from, whether you like it or not. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I thought that ruled that you fire back with like a response and then you <laughs> You ended it with, by the way, there's going to be more in my fucking book, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the exact phrasing, but it was the sense of I felt like you get into this trap when somebody is arguing with you to accept the premise of the argument and start defending yourself. I'm not interested in that because I did deem it to be a distraction. What happened, the thing, the main thing. I talked about something you didn't want me talking about. That's the main thing. Tries to make it about me. It's very tempting to get defensive and say, no, 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 I'm great. And so all I wanted to assert, uh, maybe not all I wanted to assert, but what I wanted to assert in the article is it's a distraction from the main thing. And we can have a great conversation, Matt, about media and responsibilities and who should do what. And I'm not saying it's a fruitless conversation, but to me, it was just a distraction from the actual conversation, which is Kevin Durant has not committed to the Warriors. If anything, he's given indications the other way. He said on the court, that's why I'm out in a game uh, in which Draymond was yelling at him and saying that he was leaving. So I think that's kind of the main story. It's not about how much media access should there be um, and how much should Kevin Durant have to have to do. Personally, it's funny. I'm seeing a lot of arguments made that the media access builds the sport and we're all part of growing the sport and it helps Durant be more famous. I'm not even sure if that's totally, completely true. I do wonder if there was no media access and these guys were just, we knew nothing about them. I, maybe the sport would do just as well. I have no idea. I'm, I'm not even a, a stickler saying that Durant should be doing yeah. media every day. Yeah, but what you do is, but this is the thing about like what you do. It's different than what the than what they're doing. You know, like you're watching what they're doing and you're trying to create stories from it. Or, you know, point out what's interesting. You're doing a separate work that... My, my thing is, is for, for better or for worse, I'm always trying to narrow the gap between what I know and what the readers know. And mm -hmm. it's difficult because you can't share everything all the time, but it's so easy to just tell yourself because you don't want any of the blowback that... I'm playing the long game. And if I, you know, if I if I make waves now, I'm not going to get the thing in the future and then you never end up getting that thing in the future. And so I just want to be as honest as I can be. Um and that's primarily what I'm interested in. Yeah. God, I'm tempted to talk about all the conversations in the locker room last night. I'm very tempted, but I'm going to refrain. <laughs> yeah, I really wish you could. <laughs>
I but just it all just speaks to me that like you know the, the, your job is different than their job, and if people like you doing your job, then you know I think that they see that you're doing a good job of it. The other thing that you didn't do, just to point it out, is you didn't get you just launched one response article on the athletic, and you primarily I think have done a good job of obeying your own rule of only using social media to promote your own stuff. Yeah, that you didn't you didn't get into big long Twitter arguments with people who were like saying shit you didn't like respond no, you don't understand i'm a journalist and yeah you know, like blah, all blah, that blah, shit blah, it's blah. like and, and i think what's important about this is like we're we are really on this precipice of where there are there are people in like silicon valley in particular who think like why do we even need journalistic institutions why don't we just have people tweeting things out as they happen you know that's so much better that the the access there it's direct it's rapid it's quick and it's like it, that's insane that it would be insane for you to have broken this story on Twitter and only Twitter and then engaged with people on Twitter it was as it was it was already unhealthy for you yeah. that would have been far more unhealthy it would have oh. not let you control the narrative it would have like led to essentially like it's like you want journalism to be meltdowns rather than like concrete pieces and mm. i think you being able to work for an organization that you know keeps you safe behind this paywall in a way that respects itself as an institution such that it charges people money for what it's doing so that it can give you a living like that just creates a much better situation for you to be good at your job i agree with that and i wonder if i would have been as disciplined in another setting i i just think what ends up happening is that it's easy to get wrapped into the idea that what you are doing primarily primarily is about you and your reputation and it's not about you and it's so hard to take yourself out of it in that way when you've been called into the story in this manner but you need to have a little bit of distance and understand that your ego is not the biggest thing here it's not it, the main yeah. thing it's not the main thing people are interested in the the primary thing is that nobody gives a fuck about you that's the thing you have to understand yeah but and that's important that's better for your integrity and for your life for you to not be the center of things and when we flatten everything out with things like this with social media which intends to which I, you know i guess i shouldn't call it social media but with this you know institutionless version of this institutionless version of the media, it rather than there being an institution and a writer and an audience and like a person, you know, the version of this that I think we're trying to fight against is where all those things are condensed to one, mm -hmm. where your Twitter presence, where Twitter is your institution, is your outlet for public, is like what you publish, is what you're writing for, and is where you as a person are and, as, and are accessible, and it's not paying you any money. Like, that's just a recipe for just disaster. Oh, it's bad. Well, it's... You almost have to keep contradictory thoughts in your head in order to in, in order to manage it. I don't want to say well, but just just survive it, which is one this platform serves to it, it, the function of reputation management. I keep using that phrase, but at the same time, people don't really give a shit about you. It's hard to keep those two thoughts in your head, but it's true. So, if you get down this rabbit hole of defending yourself, you have to remember that nobody, nobody cares about your reputation nearly as much as you do. And it's easy to get into this narcissism trap and forget that central premise and start arguing vigorously. But the people seeing the argument on the timeline, they sometimes don't even have the context. We've all had this experience of watching journalists have one of these Twitter thread back and forths where you wonder, where did this even start? What was this even about? 
and you almost tune it out because you're not as invested as the person arguing it. And there's a little, it's, it's a little off-putting when you see somebody so wrapped up in their own reputation as opposed to trying to serve you and your interests. Yeah, well, it, it, it's, they, why would they care? They're just excited to be in the comment section with you. You know, and this goes back to my like whole thing where like we've basically like we, we've let the comment section take over where, you know, where there once was how the Internet <laughs> worked and mm-hmm. how journalism worked or whatever. There was the work in the text, you know, Roland Barthes idea of the work in the text. There's the work, the thing that the artist, the creator makes. And then there's the text, which is the commentary around it that contextualizes it in society. And both are important things, but they must remain separate. We used to be in a world where, you know, there was a headline to an article, then an article and then below a, the comment section. And only if you were insane did you go down into the comment section or if you were very bored. But we've changed into this world in which it it very much feels like we're getting our information comment section first. It's like there's the comment section, people reacting to something. Mm. Then you see the headline. And then if you're a crazy person, you click through the headline to the article. It's like the tail wagging the dog if the tail was completely insane. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, exactly. Which the tail is. Dogs can't control the tail. That's why they're trying to catch it all the time. <laughs> but so this, I think, is a good transition to this concept. Oh, yeah. Of, okay. So I'll, I'll read this email from a, a loyal listener. I'll, I'll oh, read sure. it as, a, as, as our segue that I sent to you. Um, let me let me pull it up. Um, a man by the name of, I hope he's okay with us saying his name, um, Zachary Fowler. Uh, hey, Zach. Hey, Ethan. I'm a loyal reader and podcast listener. I've been reading since the first finals and... You've become my favorite sports writer. Obviously, you've had a pretty busy week, but I'm really looking forward to the next Syncing Up episode. You can't just tease platform cucking and then go away. Did you know what the next... uh, Do you know when the next... Okay, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so he wanted to know about platform cucking. For whatever reason, this has become a trope on the Jade series of podcasts, the bringing up of cucking for comedic effect. So Ah. this is in keeping. I didn't want to get dragged back into this whole terminology, sorted as it is, but you've invented a term platform cucking <laughs> that i think is a useful term yeah. and a and, and and a funny term and can you uh can you elaborate on that yeah sure so just like cucking is you know watching another uh i guess is it specifically watching a man fuck your wife i i guess i guess it could go the other way could it go it the rarely... other way or could it be it could just be anybody fucking your partner or whatever in front of you Oh, it sounds uh, so vulgar when you say it like that but yeah 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 well hey look but, but people like it there's nothing wrong with cucking if you like it uh, but I, well, but I, but anyway, I do think that there's this thing going on where you'll see people who have a platform who own, say a website, uh, but rather than use their own platform to do the thing that platform is for, get information across, they instead use a different platform owned by somebody else. So for example, a great example of this was Nate Silver, Uh, During the last election night, he had on his own website, Nate Silver's website, 538.com, he had a live updating feed of what was going on in the election, but he himself was tweeting things out. He was on Twitter tweeting out his messages and like his thoughts for things rather than using his own website that he owns. He was cucking himself. Uh, he was a, a platform cuck in that he was choosing <laughs> to allow Twitter 
to fuck him and his career rather than going to his <laughs> wife and doing it himself. This might be when you coined the term that night, um, unless you'd done so before and I didn't know about it. Yeah, that's I, maybe. It. But yeah, but like this thing where going, like you have, uh, or, or like uh, who does this all the time? Ezra Klein does this all the time. It's like Ezra Klein doing big, long Twitter threads about stuff. And it's like, motherfucker, you own Vox.com. You've got your own website where people should be seeing your shit there, where you make money when people see your shit. And instead you're using the free thing because that's where people are and like it's just like if everybody does that then everybody's just going to be on the free thing you know cucking you rather than going to your website why would they go to your website if you're just giving it all away for free well so nate silver and far be it for us to question a guy as smart as nate silver is but it did it was perplexing to me because he does have a product that's highly in demand i can understand it more People go to Twitter because that's where they find the news. Things are like breaking there. Things are happening there. Uh, but and so they're not going to individual websites because that news isn't being broken there. It's not this instantaneous thing. But we have the ability to make live feeds of just your reporters and stick them on your own institution and website. Shouldn't we just fucking start doing that? Because that's all I'm doing anyways is like at this point, I, I the only way I can use Twitter without losing a full hour of my life is to just go directly to the Twitter feed of somebody who I know is addicted to Twitter and uses it all the time, uh, but who says things that I like. And it's like, and I feel terrible because it's like, I, I, you are a destination for me. You know, going to twitter.com slash Zainep to go find Zainep Tufekshi, who I love, uh, and what she's writing, it's like, I, I would go to your website, Zainep, and like, just see what you're up to and in a format of your choosing. But instead, I'm going to it on this other website, uh, you know, cucking what income you potentially could have if you were a part of an institution or running your own thing. Now, I know not everybody wants to have their own journalistic institution, which was one of the great things about Twitter that like academics and people who normally wouldn't be releasing things to the public had a space to go to. But I, it just seems like a dangerous, well, you know, do you, okay, precedent. So Nate here. Silver, Nate Silver, I'm, I'm researching, not researching, but I'm looking up what he's tweeted about Twitter because, again, not a dumb guy, Nate Silver, right? And we found his move perplexing, um, but maybe he has some explanations for it. And this is him commenting on, uh, commenting on never tweet and the idea of never tweet or telling journalists to never tweet. He 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 tweets. With the very important exception of when a journalist has been the target. By the way, Matt, I'm very tempted to read this in Dan Carlin voice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Do it. <laughs> with the very important exception of when a journalist has been the target of harassment. Never tweet usually comes across as smug. Twitter has lots of problems. I, I can't keep doing this. I'm going to lose my voice. <laughs> but it can be quite valuable to both journalists and readers. Most of them should be hashtag tweet better columns instead. Uh, and then his next tweet. Oh God! Is, is so I have to say, hashtag tweet better is basically the like platform cucks anthem. That's <laughs> fucking crazy. <laughs> so then the next is a little list of what you should do. One, stick to topics you know well or random ephemera. Avoid the middle ground. Two, turn off notifications from people you don't follow. Three, don't give too much of a fuck about the idiots, and you usually shouldn't read the replies. Four, if you feel like being combative. 
punch up not down so when you look at that is there any is there any flaw in the general nate silver ethos of not never tweet but uh but tweet a lot tweet better. yeah no i what he's describing is the job description for a digital journalist <laughs> <laughs> for somebody who should be what it would be like to write on a website that fucking paid you is that you're supposed to write about what you know you're supposed to have interesting takes and don't engage with the comment section let those people have fun and you fucking keep doing your job like he's just this is just a, a job description for an unpaid internship writing for twitter that everybody has yeah i'm thinking about it um my mom look i i my mom quite likes that Nate Silver has all this stuff that, 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 that he tweets out. She really likes uh, kind of a sober-minded, data-girded uh, view of the world. and so she Great. Loves, well, then I'm sure she would love reading him on his own website, 538.com. I know. I think that was my reply when I discussed this with my yeah. mom. But, I, well, like, so the, but the biggest – one of the reasons I want to bring this up was one of the biggest platform cuckings happened that I've ever seen happened last week, uh, which was the Bezos platform cuck. <laughs> <laughs> which I fucking, which I love. Bezos, Jeff Bezos, the richest man alive, who owns a newspaper, an entire like massive like print and media institution, and one of the biggest websites on the planet, chose instead to make his big, uh, this is his big like dick pic, uh, you know, I will not be intimidated uh, post. He put it on Medium, a, a website that he does not own. Medium.com. Do you, do you think that was and then he tweeted some conflict about it. of interest issue if he puts it on the Washington Post website? I, I don't know, I, but I'm not sure. But like he, the the fact like it was through it was a medium post by the way that didn't get any traction until he posted on Twitter, which tells you what you need to know about Twitter. Like Twitter is important. It's just this thing that Twitter is important, and it's like uh, anyway. The I think that he I guess it makes sense that he didn't want to put it on Washington Post if he felt like I don't know that people would criticize him for driving clicks to his own newspaper. I'm not sure. But he, and I guess he didn't want to put it on Amazon.com because it was of sensitive nature. But you have to remember, he used to make these big notes on Amazon.com when like Steve Jobs died. He would write these like letters to his customers and they would be the front page of Amazon.com. He would use that as a platform. Uh, and my understanding is like sales would tank on Amazon when he did this, but it was that kind of told you how he thought it was important to do this rather mm. than have your regularly scheduled Amazon. So do you think, do you think that he did medium? I, I, I don't know much about the backing of medium. He did it because it was a non-threat that it was an empty space that he wasn't I guess that it's about. meant to be neutral medium medium exists in this weird space. Medium, I think is trying to like have it all where it wants to be an open platform where people can do thoughtful, long form journalism, but I don't think they've ever quite cracked that. I think the problem with medium is that I, I really think that people like having things segmented by tone and flavor and voice you know i like that different institute different magazines feel different because of the collection of writers that they've put together medium is this experiment that like what if we all were on one thing together and what you get is this bland voiced you know unsure of itself thing where it's like why would i what is meant to be posted on medium and at this point what it seems to have coalesced around is like mostly like tech people writing about tech stuff goes on medium yes uh, yes and so, but that then by that then has become its voice. And it's like, if you're not writing something like that, then why would you post it on medium? So I guess it found itself, but simply because it was like tech solution to things. So tech thought it was a good place and a good idea when I don't know if it is. 
I like my theory about it's just a non-threat. It's non-threatening, so Medium. it's fine to give them that. Like if, he, if he went to New York Times, then that's a competitor. You know, that's 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 a, sure. an, it's a publication with some juice, and almost anything else is. Uh, so it's got to be hard. I mean, that is serious power when you have to really think long and hard about <laughs> can I just say anything publicly on any platform without it being some sort of either a conflict of interest or a boon to my competitors. That that is that is having your fingers in a lot of different uh whatever the fucking term is. Pies? I don't know. <laughs> Digital pies. Irons in the fire? Yeah. I just uh, I don't know. It was like fucking, you know, you've got these things, fucking do them, man. Drive traffic to your fucking website. Who fucking cares? Stand up for institutions and for owning them. And for having a mouthpiece, you know, letters fr from the editor like exist for a reason. You know, there have been people from, you know, for hundreds of years, publishers would often use their publications to get their messages out. And, you know, you can debate if that, you know, ruins their impartiality or whatever. But I don't know. Fucking own it, man. That's yeah, what I would I, say. I agree. And Jeff, I, I know that we're a sports website and I'm not the boss of it necessarily but if ever you want to say something uh <laughs> of interest to the public the athletic uh you know we could we could pay you a little bit for it i don't know i'm just spitballing here just throwing ideas out there i think that's fair uh so yeah so that's platform cucking anytime you see somebody who has their own platform instead choosing to release something on a platform that they do not own a particularly one that does not pay them does not care about them and maybe actively undermining so, okay, their so entire the career question, and profession matt. so here's the bigger question matt um how how i mean let's not talk about the media well the medium, we have we have some theories on that. But if we're talking about the silver thing, let's say that silver is wrong. We're trying to steal man a little bit and trying to give him an intellectual theory. But let's say something else has happened. And he's just, he has a compulsion to do this. And other journalists have a compulsion to do this. Why? What happened? How did this thing become so enticing that it gets people to overlook the incentives that make sense for themselves? It's because people are there. You want your stuff to be on the platform that people are looking at. You know, like this is why it's like it's like tough right now to like, I, you know, everybody. If you want a TV show right now, you want to have a TV show on Netflix simply because, you know, everybody can see it. Like other the, otherwise, it's very hard to have like a cable TV show right now because you don't even yeah. know who can watch oh, it and who can't. An example. I was watching that show you with Allie and we've been enjoying it. And somebody told me, did you know that was just a lifetime show that, that Netflix bought? I had no clue. I had no hmm. clue that this thing had existed prior on a cable news channel. I just yeah. thought because Netflix is, is where people are. I just thought, wow, this is something that's original to, to Netflix because I think you just referred they, to lifetime. By the way, I think you just referred to lifetime as a cable news channel. <laughs> a cable news channel. I get all, Who's that, like, Gail, Oprah Winfrey's friend, Gail? Oh, I feel I like know. she would be, like, the news anchor on uh, Lifetime's news. Uh, I'm also well, looking anyways. up to just make sure that this is Lifetime and I'm not, I'm not just... Women's issues with Gail. Women's issues with, with Gail. I'm My issues up. with Gail. Is it on Lifetime or did I just make this up? Oh, yeah, Original Network, Lifetime, one season. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, that's yep, that's... Um, yeah. 
<laughs> so yeah, but like you know, of course the they gave it up to Netflix because people would watch it. So anyway, you want your stuff to be on the platform that people are on, otherwise they're not going to even see it. Because the you know the only thing worse than making something and not being paid for it is making something and not nobody seeing it. Yes, I think it's just the feeling of not wanting to be anonymous and wanting to join the conversation. It's very tempting to join the conversation. I think one of the yeah, reasons, but, uh, one mm-hmm. of the reasons why the narcissism trap last week of just seeing what people were talking about. There, there are a few things more frustrating than watching a conversation unfold about yourself and feeling almost like a ghost, uh, just wanting to say something, you know, you, the, those scenes in movies where the ghost tries to touch somebody and can't touch them. Yeah. It, it feels like that where you're watching people debate your reputation over things of which you have intimate knowledge and you just, your mother, you just want to say something and you can't, breakthrough necessarily it's so tempting for whatever reason when the yeah. conversation of is of interest to jump in i have to check my swing every day not even on that's what you got to do though man you got to just let the comment section be the comment section and you do your own thing otherwise you're going to get mired in the muck that's what i uh, think yeah um I, I think so but it's impulse control i mean that's another thought i'm having is that a lot of reputational destruction is currently happening and it's just we might be doing something in society where it's not that bad people are suffering a lot of the reputational costs, but just people with poor impulse control, you know, yeah, people who can't help themselves, people who don't. I mean, I don't it, it There's this thing like so Jack uh, Jack Dorsey, king of Twitter, was doing a lot of interviews. You know, he was on Rogan. He was on Sam Harris. He was on some random guy's YouTube channel. He's been on a bunch of stuff. And and there are a few things that he's been talking about. One was that. So like Sam Harris told him to kick Donald Trump off of Twitter, which I think I absolutely agree with. Uh, I think like yeah, just fuck it. I don't know it, where man. I Get, stand on that one. I haven't like, given fuck, that one I, much like, Well, it's just this thing of like, who fucking this guy sucks ass. He's an <laughs> asshole, and he's wrecking everything. And the only reason he can do it is because he's on your platform. And just fuck it, kick him off. It's this. Uh, Jack keeps saying that Twitter is meant to be an open platform where people can. It is this public square. He's always like, it's a public square. I'm like motherfucker, what what public square even exists right? now do do you even when was the last time you were in the public square having a debate i am unfamiliar with this idea of there even being a public square anywhere do you know the closest thing is the locker room the closest thing the locker room is the the public square (laughs) the locker room and the loud arguments on all manner of topics um yesterday it was on licensing fees and you know the way athletes are exploited and (laughs) it's it's the closest thing it's the closest thing to a public square but it cannot be it cannot be entirely public i i think to paraphrase charles barkley um uh, the locker room it's sexist it's racist and i miss it (laughs) (laughs) well but these are just places where people are hanging out that's actually like a private square that's the most private of all squares but 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 jack public it because because the way the locker room is ringed Mm. like a circle right and so if you're in the middle of it it's like being it's like being in a in in a roman amphitheater um, Mm. to a certain extent and so 
If there's a loud conversation, everybody. But look, that's the most recent. There is no. I I, I digressed into my job. You are right. Yeah, but, no. no. Well, I, mean, I don't know. But like, what is this? Uh, yeah, this thing that he's aspiring to. I think he. Get, I guess he keeps referencing like Washington Square Park or something. But mm. like only. But like only a truly crazy person who has can something you, to say. Can you buy swag weed on Twitter? Is that what the analogy is? What is the analogy? <laughs> there's no similarities between Washington Square Park and Twitter. The only people saying shit in Washington Square Park out loud and trying to have discussions are fucking crazy people. Mm. And then the, the pleasant things that are going on in Washington Square Park are people having casual private chats while they eat a I sandwich the, the or maybe bands so striking up and playing. Yeah, the, the analogy holds up insofar as uh, they're both filled with annoying NYU grads. But <laughs> I, I'm trying I'm struggling to see where else the analogy goes. Um, I don't know. I would have to think about it. My first instinct is I don't like bands. I think that this is for society to suss out <laughs> and that there's this when you're picking and choosing, you're almost signaling a certain political allegiance if you're taking the literal president of the United States and saying that we will not allow this person uh, the forum that we're allowing all these politicians on the other side. But at the same time, I'm sure Trump is breaking a lot of the TOS, a lot of the Twitter rules and just going after people and insulting people the way that he's doing. I mean, by by some letter of the law, he has to he has to be committing an infraction. And I think the, the, the trouble is that it seems like the judgments are arbitrary as far as who's on and who isn't. And rather than own that they're arbitrary, they have to pretend that they're not. And they have to pretend that there is some sort of rubric that everybody is being held to. Yeah, but he, this is the thing. He's just like keeps having it both ways or all ways. It's mm. it's not. It's either a public square where anybody can be and can say anything, I, I would, and where like, Nazis I would, I would are allowed. Like it. I could support the ban of Trump if it effectively comes with look. There's no evenly applied rubric. I am the king here. I am the dictator. Yeah. I don't like the dude. He's out. That to me would be more acceptable than the pretense of of, of everything else that they do. Because then at least they would be standing for something. They would be creating an institution. They would be like, okay, that's what Twitter is. It is my place. It is my institution that I run. Instead, yeah, it's this neither fish nor fowl of so many different things. And as a result, this confu I think we're all caught up in the confusion of this. And I think it's like having ramifications where we're not actually instead building institutions that could have those rules. Like, it, you know, let it. The reason for there being institutions run by people uh, was that you could have a sustaining thing that meant something and where if you needed to say something like that, if you wanted to talk about video games, you did it on a video game based institution where there were video game ethics and people cared about video games. And so I knew if I wanted something that I could trust on video games, I would go there. Having these like wishy-washy non-institutions be where everything happens means that everything is kind of in this nether space and it's unclear and we're all kind of just arguing with each other oh. about what even we're supposed to be doing here and I, then the only people that triumph are these loud assholes can, like trump can we take a pause because i have a work call and then a radio interview can we can we pause it maybe i should i stop this recording and send you this yeah yeah recording? Okay, yeah let's we'll stop the recording right. and we'll come back yeah, sounds yeah, good yeah, yeah. later okay is there any good conversation on this all right all right um so yeah, so just this idea that like social media wants to be an open platform, but at the same time wants to sell ads against the platform and 
run, you know, these platforms are like very, you know, they're, when they're, when an algorithm gets involved in the platform, it no longer becomes an open platform. Mm. You know, it becomes what is decided by the platform. So like, for example, YouTube just announced that they're going to get rid of, they're going to make it so that their algorithms no longer recommend conspiracy videos. <laughs> right. How do you possibly Which, police that? Yeah, that's insane. Like, there's no way to do that. Uh, like you, what, how, what do you label a conspiracy video? Yeah. What do you label not a conspiracy video? What do you, uh, you know, and also like if people want this stuff, are you, or are you not an open, pla- an open platform? And uh, like, also like what distinguished, so like, uh, I've, I've been checking out YouTube TV. Have you, you know, YouTube TV? Um, I don't know YouTube TV. I have YouTube red, but I don't know about YouTube TV. I think they're the same. I can't, uh, I don't even know. Uh, yeah. See, this is like the problem, but like there's like show uh, like YouTube now has original shows that they pay a bunch of money for, right? Like big budget shows. And then at the same time, they also feature shows that are just making money off of the advertising on YouTube mm. that aren't YouTube produced shows, but they're YouTube recommended shows. Uh. And they, but they just kind of end up being like this lower is, I, budget. I think the theme right YouTube now is shows. just overextension of trying to be too many things to too many people. Um, yeah, and, and I that's agree. a major issue where you're trying to be a, a publisher and a social network, right? That that's that's a bit of an issue. And in this in this case, you're trying to be a television. I don't even know what you would call it a television studio and a television network on a on a digital medium. It just seems ripe for conflicts of interest. Yeah, it, it's all these cra- and like 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 Netflix, for example, which like I guess is doing the best of all of these things. Mm-hmm. But like Netflix is it, there's this crazy thing where Netflix keeps making movies or they keep buying up movies. And then their their main problem is that they can't make enough money. I do, you know, the, they're so like they're in debt. Right. And their problem is that they need to spend a lot of money in order to keep having good content on the platform. And they make like big movies, but they don't make any money off the movies any more than their TV shows because it's all just the subscription mm. price. Meanwhile, but if you're if your problem is trying to make money off the movies that you make, we solved that problem a long time ago. You release it in theaters and you make money off the tickets. Yeah. Like there's already a great way to make money off of movies. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> and all- there, there is a conversation to be had of what should art cost and should it be profitable? I, I remember our friend Andrew Hahn said of L.A. because he's an L.A. guy that we don't make money. We spend everybody else's money that the entertainment industry isn't inherently so profitable not nearly as profitable as these other industries like oil and gas in the uh, in in south in texas and not nearly as profitable as uh tech in the bay area but people want to have a cultural voice and so they will put a lot of money behind putting it out there yeah people it's art this this dance we do between art and commerce it really feels like it's coming to a head right now like when people ask me like why i think this is a problem like i was looking back at like uh criticism of like my take uh of of the fact that like you know you can't have there are no comedy writers currently being employed to work for the internet right now, for example, or like journalism is like there is shedding jobs, you know, by the thousands or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the question that always comes up, well, it's like, well, I mean, why were these things meant to be careers? Like, why was it, you know, why is comedy? Why can't, why is somebody supposed to make 
money doing comedy. Like it w- wasn't like that a hundred years ago. Why do I think I deserve to make money doing comedy? Or why does a journalist think they deserve to make money doing it? And it's like, well, okay. So you want to, <laughs> so you want to live in a society where artists don't get paid. I like, do you think that art and journalism has value? Mm. Then those, then those things should be paid for. That's logical. Like, uh, I just never want to make that argument for myself. I never want to make the argument that I should be. I just always feel that that's a losing argument. And I always think to myself, well, I chose this and I have to take whatever comes with it. I could have been a lawyer. I could have done something else, but I chose this. Uh, to bring it back to the conversation we began with, it's one of the reasons why I can't really complain about this whole situation and being criticized and everything else. I chose this. I have to take what comes with it. At the same time, you are right. I would want to live in a society where people could make money doing this and doing it right. That is what I would want, ideally, and it doesn't seem to be happening. You're right, but you're only going to be able to do it right if you get paid to do it yeah. right, if you treat it like a profession. Like, you've spent you know, the last 10 years training to be good at that thing, to become a professional at it. Why should you feel like you're lucky to be able to get paid to do the thing that you're good at and that you wanted to do and devoted all this work to getting good at and that people want to hear from you? It reminds me a little bit of how there's generational criticism of the infantilization of subsequent subsequent generations uh, after the silent generation, right? And Uh, I I think about it and I think to myself, well, yes, but you, uh, the silent generation, you you definitely went through some things that, you know, we've never gone through. But you could also, as a milkman, buy a house, theoretically, and support a family at age 23. And, and, And you could really get started being an adult. You could start that process early. You had the means to adulthood. I think it's harder to be an adult if you don't have the means to be an adult. I know personally, when I wasn't financially stable, I wasn't really looking at getting married and buying a house. But once it was within reach, I immediately did it. So if the financial incentives are there, and people tend to do better things with them, I think, if, if they are there versus if they are not there, if, if it's just barren. Yeah, I, I, like giving people opportunities to make enough money to like live a, <laughs> live in society seems to be the focus of society, mm. right? Like, isn't that the purpose of all this so that we can make sure that we're all living comfortably in like a good way and happy together? So why are we fighting against that? Well, one of the reasons might be that we're using these mediums that cater to our sense of individuality. And, and we keep saying narcissism. It's a running theme on this podcast. It's harder to think about what we all need to do together if you're only thinking about yourself throughout the day. Yeah, that, that's kind of like at the heart of the, the problems with these stupid machines that we're making. So, like, for example, I keep hearing from tech people. Um, and I even got like, uh, you know, I had like a brief Twitter discussion with a former Facebook employee about this <laughs> also, where it's like where the. There is like tech does clearly think they know what uh, the solution is for journalism and for websites. Like there's a lot of people who are like, I don't understand. Why can't we just have it so that when I read something, that thing gets money that, you know, we should make this like frictionless payment system where your attention online directs money directly. So if you click on something, an article, and you read it, the amount of time that you're on that site correlates to that getting that amount of money. If attention is monetized, then why not monetize it both ways? Mm. Does, did I explain that kind of I think, well I think enough? I explained it quite well, and I, I'd like to hear your rejoinder to that. 
Yeah. So this idea that like you should only <laughs> that articles that get people's attention are the only ones that deserve to be paid because clicks equal attention equals money. But the problem with that is that's essentially taking this like freelance piecemeal lifestyle or, you know, freelance piecemeal um, gig economy and like micro transacting it until it's everything. And then you end up with like even more of like the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. Or, or I should say you get more just like extremes. I mean, like not everything you write is as massive as the Kevin Durant thing that just happened. Right. Mm -hmm. Definitely not. And right. And so, but you should still be allowed to be paid for the good things you do and the bad things because you don't necessarily know what's going to be a hit and what's not. Yeah. That's how to make something that's good is to make sure is to just try to consistently do work. And then if it aligns with what the market wants, a, a, you know, enough times, that means you're doing a good job, yeah. but not, you don't want to be taking big swings no. every single time or you end up with clickbait essentially. Yeah. You don't want to be, you know, that's the only, Yeah, you don't want to be fully, I don't want to say optimized, but you, you want, you want to generate the work that you would anticipate a human being would, would, would generate and not be constantly hunting for, uh, you, you don't want to, you don't want to be hacking society, I guess is what I should say. You want to be, yeah. you want to be presenting something that you think has some intrinsic value of its interesting or of its new information or if it's something someone's not thought of before, you don't want to be gaming people. I think that's where we, we come into agreement on, on, on this stuff and have maybe a, a less, um, it's strange, but a, a, a less data girded view of how these things should be done. I think that we're both inherently suspicious, and you can call us Luddites, of the belief that human beings can be so easily hacked and that it's good for human beings to be repeatedly hacked. I mean, there are two separate trains of thought there. One, is it possible? Two, is it good for people to have to have entertainment operating and acting on them as though they are as though they are machines? Um and, and I'm with you. I think we get a better product that resonates more uh, when we're not operating out of that sensibility. I think the movies of the 1970s are better than the movies currently. I do. I, I think even the better the movies in the 90s are better than the yes, movies currently. I think agreed. we're like in this like because we're doing this like because we're doing this thing right now where like. By the, by the way, the TV shows of about five to ten years ago i believe are better than the tv shows right now it's very subjective but th that is my day it's interesting that i i do i mean like i it's hard not for to like feel complicit right where we cut the cord mm -hmm. right we like fucked it all up just when cable was getting really good yeah, we did <laughs> we did that's a great observation that's a great observation that like we just we kind of we cut the we well, cut the cord you know what's and we fucked it all up funny too i feel as though and you can't really trace this or track it but the constant conversation about these things, that's Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, that the observation alters the actual thing. And I do wonder when I watch these TV shows if the constant state of criticism um, is impacting what they write next. And that's also corrupting the art that we should be receiving. I should say as an aside that this season of True Detective is quite good. I just Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm liking it. Too. Well, HBO has been operating on, on the same thing for the last... 30 years or whatever and they just keep making great shit yeah. and some and sometimes uh, and they make some kind of crazy flop um and it doesn't make a lot of sense and i think that's the cost the cost is that yeah and, and who cares it's 
Yeah, and it's and like you know everybody's talking about how they're like going to have to do a lot of rebuilding now that Game of Thrones is over. But like still, in all these intervening years, they've they've still you know put out tons and tons of good stuff. And it's just this premium subscription model that if you pay for something to like if you pay for an institution that knows what it's doing to just run and focus on making good work, then that's what it will do, and that's what we all want. How do you feel about? I don't know how else to put it. The Chinification of movies. Um, I have a friend. Uh, I, I I have a friend who I know through my friend Kevin Arnovitz, Kevin's boyfriend Eric, who works for the uh, the Wall Street Journal, who is writing all about this and covering it in depth. And I feel ignorant about many of the the, the parameters. I, I I have some, you know, certain feelings on it. But I'm I'm sure you thought about it a little bit. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, you know, uh, if you guys saw uh, The Meg, for example, that came out this year, the big Jason Statham movie, that was like a half Chinese production. And you could tell that more than anything, more than like any other big movie I've seen was like, oh, my gosh, this is very much a Chinese film. It like a lot of it takes place in China. Every all the signage in the movie in the movie that had English also had Chinese in it. The stars were Chinese. And like, you know, on one hand, I think it's nice to be making big budget action movies for multiple countries. I think that's great. But at the same time, I I think what's really kind of weird about it is this idea that in order to make movies now, it has to, America is not enough. You know, the, the money, the amount of money you can make in just one country isn't enough. Now it needs to be bigger. And and, and while we love the world and we think human beings are of equal spirit, we did have a particular movie making culture in this country specific to this country. Um, and to lose that, it does feel, I'm, I'm not crying over it, but it does feel like something of a loss and it does give the sense of Solomon and the dividing the baby in half, right? Where you're trying to, you're, you're, you're trying to make this division and make it appeal to people in Ohio and make it also appeal to people in China. And the end result is not the absolute peak of artistic expression. Yeah, I, I I suppose so. I mean, to, to me, it's just I don't understand why we can't be making big budget movies that play it globally and also be making movies that are, you know, smaller and less like relatable, even between countries, even within a country. Like, it, it just feels like we've lost the mid budget movie. Oh, right? yeah. That's kind of what people lament. And I, it, it just feels like everything's becoming extremes now. You know, we've got income inequality is like worse than it's ever been, where you either have tons of money or you have no money. It feels like the same thing with like, you know, media stuff where either something where either your platform has two billion people on it or it doesn't fucking matter. You know, there's just there's no in between right now. And it it feels like we're just dealing only with extremes. And that feels like a bad way to be. You just see that that theme just keeps popping up over and over again of extremification of things being polarizing. And it it just it feels bad. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't feel good at all. Um, And podcasts have been as we've said a bit of an oasis in all of this where they seem to be a place yeah, where people yeah. can seek out uh cultures of commonality and explore ideas and you know generally generally feel good um one second it's an open platform it's like the last remaining open platform uh well except for the ultimate open platform uh psychedelic mushrooms uh, what a segue 
that's the platform everybody well, so needs to get am on i taking a risk with my career matt you know in theory straight laced reporter i don't know anybody who does drugs matt um oh is that yeah, true this is quite the, <laughs> i think that's it really should be part of my brand never met a drug doer would never invite him into my house <laughs> but you do you th- but, do you think that uh so wait you think that nobody is doing psychedelic drugs in the sports world no right media people smoke a lot of weed and generally whatever you would associate with people who take a road less traveled job you know this is not a job where you just ascend up the ranks in a typical way you're not signing on for a life that is predictable so it's strange in my industry that there's such a taboo in talking about consuming certain things versus other things, right? If I had, uh, if I Instagrammed myself at a craft uh, brewery, they, they would, nobody would care. But uh, it, it is funny. There's this tension where the people in the industry are, are these wild and crazy free spirits, but at the same time uh, have to present themselves as quite straight-laced. Not true in yeah, comedy. Yeah. I, I... Well, yeah, well, I was thinking about, I mean, like, it's so funny because I think why people like sports, right, and a particular, it is because, I mean, I have this idea, right, that sports are art, basically, that it's just like a different form of art. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what people, why they like sports is because it's, you're projecting, right, you're projecting human stories, you're projecting, like, I don't know, human, like, very, like, core human ideas onto sports. Sports become a metaphor in people's lives. That's why they like to 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 follow them like uh I'm, I'm trying to think of like a good like um like kurt warner or something like that right like that's like a, a story mm. wow what a pull right? from you i'm impressed yeah <laughs> well it's it kind of relates to a project i've been working but on but, but that's like, a class but he it, was bagging groceries and now he's bagging touchdowns yeah and but like that's part in integral to who he is and every time you watch him that's like a story that you're telling yourself as you're watching it and that like every play he makes is part of that story and then when you talk about how amazing he is you can't separate it from no. that you know and and you can also take that metaphor and put it in your own life you know where it's like oh man i i just you know i know things are tough right now but there's a way out just like what kurt did mm-hmm. you know like there's so many or, or there's just so many metaphors that are pulled from sports and a lot of ways that's your job right is to find those stories and to pull those metaphors out it's, to contextualize what's going it's, it's on fun- i don't know if it's funny because it, in a lot of ways deadspin was a rebellion against the um sports fable and this idea that it reveals character and i think they operated from an ethos of sports and one's character are not at all correlated um which there's definitely something to that plenty of horrible people win championships in sports but at the same time there are certain things you can tease out it it is more productive to sublimate one's ego within a sports context if everybody on a team starts sublimating their ego to contribute to the greater good it actually does work better for the team itself so it's 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 funny they're kind of right or they were kind of right to take that approach and certainly maybe what they were doing was there was way too much of the one thing so they were providing the counter thing um i suppose yeah. but but i we should separate also like the idea of like hearing about the stories behind people and maybe i set us off on a bad no i like this. point uh, because of kurt warner well but for example just the idea of like is offense more important than defense it is not but we care about it more 
so that in and of itself is a very interesting metaphor. Yeah. Like you can, and, and it's one that like you, like I, you're, I'm constantly, I feel like in positions with my career, with my life where you can kind of boil it down a bit to like, am I playing offense or defense mm. here? You know, am I, do I need to push on something or do I need to hold back and sort of wait to see what happens? You know, like that's a, in, in, in almost every interaction that you have professionally, you can find kind of a corollary like that. And sports is an exercise in seeing what's of trying to tease out in what situ situations are offense or defense more important. And you will take those lessons and start playing. There by are them. Like people do. I love this. And there, there, there's so much to the metaphor because a lot of defense is not fucking up and not fucking up just inherently will get less credit um than actually doing something that's visible you know if, if yeah I, if I, and yeah. so and you so like but which is something that people find all the time in the workplace right we talk all the time about like failing up people who are just like who just want to keep their jobs rather than take a risk and do something big people who are playing defense and just kind of like you know trying not to fuck up but then on the long term, then you do fuck up. If you only play defense, then you're never going to make any yeah, you know, you, you, plays. Yeah, you've got to do both. I mean, the uh, cliche in sports, or at least in the NBA, is offense wins games, defense wins championships, which I don't know if that's entirely true. I think what that really is saying, because they're of equivalent value, is merely that this, this thing that you take for granted is actually quite meaningful in the aggregate. And sometimes doing the thing that's hard... Um, and the thing that's less heralded leads to the ultimate glory. Um, but there are a lot of metaphors, and sports just provides so many, but many of them are contradictory, right? Where it's supposed to be all about the team, and yet and yet the biggest the biggest thing of all is this individual glory that you get from it. So mm -hmm. uh, are the stars. Yeah. Which is also or, like that's I mean, at least for me as like a, an entertainer and comedian, or, that's huge. Like I, I've spent my whole career like doing improv and sketch comedy. I don't do stand up. And it's because for me, it's more rewarding to play as a part of a team that my my best my favorite memories in my time as a comedy writer aren't when I've been performing necessarily, although I've had a, like a lot of great experiences doing that. But it's more like in a writer's room with my collaborators, like cracking something wide open and laughing so hard and then trying to then do our jobs of taking that magic from that writer's room and putting it out to the world. But it's that it's being able to work together with people that have led to like the highest highs. And so for me, I'm like all about working together with people, but then I constantly find myself in positions where I, you know, I need to be pushing myself forward or I won't be getting opportunities yeah. where I need to be individualistic or because that's also a lot of how entertainment works, especially Hollywood works on stars. Mm -hmm. A lot of my career has been defined by the fact that like I want to work with teams, but Hollywood works with individuals and stars better. Mm. And, it's, and it creates this tension where a lot of the kind of really good work that I think um, should be done, I can't do simply because it's not it's not necessarily star driven. One of the joys I get from my work and writing is a very narcissistic profession is just that I, I am friends with uh, my coworkers at the Athletic Bay Area. We're in constant conversation trying to attack an issue as, as a team. It is more rewarding, but you do also need that ego to give you the confidence to try things. So there's just always going to be that tension of ego mm -hmm. versus sublimating the ego, and there is something to be learned from it. But it, it's funny. The sports is just 
all twisted up and tangled in on itself currently and uh the different messages that it sends out the different lessons we're trying to learn from it it's all it's all very confusing um you know i always think to myself i think to myself okay so this is a crazy place to take it but i remember when tiger woods uh got caught cheating on his wife back in the day and that was one of the first social media scandals that the tiger woods was cheating on his wife i i always rejected the premise i didn't understand why we quite cared about it but i remember that gillette dropped him as a sponsor <laughs> and i chuckled to myself because i thought to myself when i see these gillette commercials back then all i see is the insinuation that this razor is going to get you laid which is hilarious this <laughs> idea that man my face it's just that one millimeter smoother than the other face. Oh, you know, it takes me from being a five to a ten. You know, the ladies are all <laughs> over me now. Ooh, boy. Smooth face over here. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've tried to pick up a woman, <laughs> and then she takes a, a matchstick, and she rubs it on my face, yes. and the matchstick lights oh, on fire, proving that my face had a little bit of roughness to it. And then she just throws a drink in my face and gets the fuck out of there. You hate to see it happen, but it's a regular it's occurrence. It's horrible. You at every bar in America, this happens regularly, it is, and it's horrifying. It, and only the only our friends at Gillette can stop only it. Only Gillette. And it's just a, although they've gone. And it's it, just a shame. They've gone a different direction, possibly. But back then, it's this insinuation <laughs> that this razor will get you laid. Well, what is Tiger Woods doing? He's on the road getting laid left and right. What does Gillette do? It's so funny. But too too much. <laughs> too much. We're gone. We're out. <laughs> <laughs> it's also funny because like the last thing I want associated with genitals, the most sensitive parts of my body, is like a sharp razor. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's maybe that was that's what they were talking about <sighs> at the top of some tower in New York City. Uh, the, the the head haunches at Gillette. Well, like our research shows, the focus group says that we can't be thinking about genitals and the razor. It is we we need tigers got to go, <laughs> cut them loose. <laughs> Cut him loose. People are thinking about his oh, genitals okay. well, this too gets much. Us to, okay, maybe this will be our final conversation on, on, on this episode, but um, advertisers as our moral arbiters. How the hell has that oh, happened? Yeah. Because in the context of Gillette, uh, they had this controversy where they were making an ad for the Me Too era, and it provoked a lot of response. But maybe what's more interesting generally is how advertisers are, are presenting themselves as – as, as something to give us moral guidance or dictate morality, which is utterly bizarre considering that their primary responsibility is to shareholders. Yeah, but the but I think it's because there's nobody else, mm. right? They're the last line of defense. Like right now, because there is no the only things that work in our machines right now, in particular, and like you know, social media, Facebook, Twitter, like this is how these platforms all run. They're all ad supported networks, right? And the only reason why Alex Jones was pulled off of Facebook was or or off of YouTube are because advertisers don't want their ads next to an Alex Jones video, mm. and so they put their foot down and they said that no and then that's what the platform has to respect and because these technology you know companies are all like libertarian in nature or at least at the outset where they are all about this idea that like the best ideas will triumph when really that's not true it's just the loudest ideas or the ideas that are pushed in the most sustained way by some dark source of funding that win mm. you know the sustained drumbeat of anti-vax memes that are being created a lot like by Russia by the internet research 
research agency and then, you know, amplified by crazy people because the, that messaging works. It's because there are no, why would anybody make a pro vaccination meme? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like there's no reason to wait, 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 a pro like, anti-vax meme, right? No, no, a pro. Well, I'm saying that all people make are anti-vax memes Mm. because there are. Why would you make a pro vaccination meme? Being alive is yeah, Yeah, right. Being alive is the pro vaccination (laughs) meme. But there's no, you know, but it's 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 not directly memeable in the same way. And so that's kind of why these negative things continue to exist. But anyway, so the advertisers are the only things that these platforms will listen to. And so by de facto, they've become our moral arbiters. And I'm not saying that I, you know, I'm probably softer than you on the side of like, if Nike should, you know, support Colin Kaepernick oh, or, or should weigh should, in on debates. Primarily be a business decision. I, the difference between what Nike did and what Gillette did. I, I think one, one, made more sense it was a risk but it made more sense to me just business wise where nike does a little bit of rebellion nike's target demographic uh more so teenagers setting the agenda in american cities disproportionately black and it makes sense to pitch colin kaepernick um as a rebellious nike figure if you're being completely cynical about it right and just looking at it from that perspective now there are arguments for why it might not be a good business decision and maybe somebody might say this is something nike wanted to do and this is what they felt was morally right and hey there's a chance i don't i don't know i tend not to think so i tend to think that it's a business decision with gillette it was a little bit more confusing where i just didn't i didn't understand what they were really trying to do or really trying to go for um and yeah so i guess that that was my thought well i i I actually i genuinely think that my guess is that right now brands feel like millennials for whatever you know whatever reason like respond to these kind of like moral messaging now yeah and that you want to be seen on the right side of things must see a lot of data and focus group uh feedback that says people want this which is funny to me because i never meet anybody who wants this uh <laughs> I, to me yeah nobody cares i want my art to be about mm. you know people with good morals and shit like that and to be honest i don't want any advertising at all yeah. i just want somebody I, I want like you know somebody impartial to tell me that a razor is good and then i'll buy yeah. it to me like advertising it's crazy that we're letting advertising run everything when advertising sucks ass <laughs> i mean i'm here arguing for ad supported independent media simply because if you don't have it's the only way to support independent websites but like i'm back like jesus christ i want that so that i can go back to my normal my regularly scheduled rants about how advertising in general sucks ass and to get rid of it yeah like how am i I, on the side of ads right now it just doesn't make sense for everybody nike again you are repping a brand right you are repping that swoosh you are saying i support colin kaepernick if that's how you feel about it but with the gillette razor that is actually a product that you you will never represent out in the open. You will never signal to other people unless you are, I don't know, Snapchatting yourself shaving. You're not going to show the public beyond saying, again, at the bar, as always happens, feel my face. It's so smooth. <laughs> Thank you, Gillette. You won't but, believe how smooth my but, face but, but, is. But I'm going ma'am, to ask ma'am, you very you like nicely, smooth, ma'am. Smooth face? Ma'am, I'm going to ask you very nicely to feel my face because ma- I don't want to transgress. Madame, do you consent, do you consent to, to rubbing my smooth face <laughs> and deeming it smooth enough for you? <laughs> my Gillette has made it possible, ma'am. Ma'am, I, I, I want you to know that I'm one of the good ones with the good faces. <laughs> 
I'll never forget at my wedding, and you you were there. You bore witness when my wife ran her the back of her hand all across my entire face <laughs> and in front of my whole family and friends and community, told them all, it's smooth. <laughs> I have a beard. I have a large beard that didn't <laughs> yeah, She lied, which is really a good precedent yeah, to set for marriage. Right, but it's really it's just about the tradition. It's about a formality. It's so funny that we've gotten to this. We've twisted things up so mm. much that a woman has to run her hand against it's a bushy beard terrible. and claim that it's a smooth face just so that we can kind of go through the, the traditions of marriage. <laughs> it's, God, it's, our puritanical society. It's, it's, it's absolutely awful. I wonder if anybody bought Gillette who had no intention of shaving just to signal a little bit of support. I wonder if that person exists <laughs> out there. But it's like, why? I just like, ugh, God, I, capitalism makes us do all this dumb <laughs> shit, man. <laughs> I mean, it's a, uh, it's, it's a wild ride. I, I still don't, it's funny. I, I, I still don't know what our better option is in the, in the grand scheme of things, but uh, we, we, we seem to be at a point where we're not, we're not valuing things of value, and we're very invested in ourselves. And I don't actually, how did, I don't blame how did anybody. We get to this point? I don't blame anybody in I, particular. I don't, I don't. I just can't believe our generation. Like, if you told me what was the most important things to my generation, mm. right? I would say like awesome art mm. and education. Interesting. And somehow we're in a position right now where all my friends who are teachers are trying to quit, and all my friends who are talented artists like can't get jobs. Like what? How? What fucking society are we building right now that this is where we've ended up, and why are we continuing on it when it sucks ass? Well, I I just don't blame anybody in particular. It just seems that there are larger forces, forces beyond our comprehension, and I don't I don't do generational blame either. I don't like when people blame baby boomers. I just mentioned the silent generation. I wasn't blaming the silent generation for that perspective. I was speaking to the circumstances that they were born into. I've never understood the rationalization that one generation is good, but the generation they literally sired and brought up is bad. I mean, if the, the prior generation is so good, then why didn't they bring up a better subsequent generation? It doesn't make sense to me. I think what makes more sense is we are disappointed with where our generation is or where the next generation is it's because the technology is just beyond our capability uh, of adapting to and that's that's the summary yeah i think we, i mean yeah making generalizations about generations generation generalizations mm. is, is the difficult like you know water to tread in but i i just feel like we're all you know the whole point of the internet was to connect us all so we could work together and instead, it's connected us all just so that a few people can, like, sucker all the rest of us. Mm. You know what I mean? So they can – and I just – I can't I can't shake myself from feeling that way, that a very small number of people who, uh, by and large, seem to be extremely lame mm. are dictating the terms of culture right now. And the thing is, and, I don't even know if they're lame or they're just incentivized to be lame. I, I see – We've talked about this before, but the way people represent themselves on Twitter to get attention, often very smart people, they present themselves so childishly. And I just, again, I, I look to incentives. So, I look to the incentives. I'm just so sick of it. I like you look at Twitter and it's just the same shit all the time. Mm. You look at Instagram, it's just the same shit all the time. And it's because this is a very restrictive format that, you know, where, yeah, not only the 240 characters or whatever, but also just like the num the amount of things you can make for it that are good. You can't make ambitious stuff 
for those mediums simply because they can't host ambitious stuff. And so we're, we're just like, these things are killing everything else that could host more ambitious stuff. And it's just so boring. And that like a big part of this mushroom trip. Oh yeah. We, <laughs> had, we, bring up. we, we got on a digression. Well, I, we got to talk about your mushroom. Yeah, trip. no, what, what we don't, you? you don't have to talk about much, but I was just like my, I just felt this profound sense of boredom mm. that this, that like in the world that I was like, I, there was so little that was exciting to me right now. And the things that are exciting to me aren't necessarily the things that are being, you know, that are like catching on fire and, and, and they're being mm. more of right now. And I just feel like everything is, it just feels so mediocre right now. Yes. And when we have more technology and more tools that are disposable to do the coolest things possible. And instead we're like stuck doing all this boring shit. And I, I realize I kind of, I like have like a problem where I do seek out novelty and where I need new things all the time. And maybe it's like part of my ADD or whatever. Mm. I need new ideas like ravenously. And I just like, and maybe I'm missing it, but I just look around and I'm just so fucking bored. Well, first of all, I, first of and, all, have a kid, you know, that will restore <laughs> a sense of wonder to the world to see the eyes through somebody who is rapidly progressing and understanding things. Um, sure, sure, that makes and, sense. And, 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 and number two, uh, yes, it does feel that way. It does feel as though there's a lot of mediocrity out there, but you could also be inspired. Again, bringing it back to podcasts, I am so thrilled and inspired by the discussions that i can hear i think it's largely yeah. a good thing um and while but the, but this was a, but this movies. is because podcasts I miss movies sure I miss them. but this is because podcasts are an open medium yeah. podcasts are we, we haven't fucked up podcasts with algorithms yet mm. you know so it's still operating because it's like hard to so it's still operating how like tech was meant to this is how i why i think that this isn't like an anti-tech argument i love tech this isn't tech at all we're not moving forward we're all of the like i would say like the last 10 years hasn't been about moving tech forward. It's about centralizing tech in ways that like a small number of people can profit off of them. But like podcast, that was like, like these are, uh, it's a simple medium. That's an open platform where good stuff can rise to the top. I, yeah, I, I don't know. It, that, that, that's why it's still exciting. Although even podcasts right now, I feel like I'm looking around looking for new shit, mm -hmm. uh, which is why... I am excited to be putting out a podcast because uh, I'm like, oh, I think we've got some new shit to talk got about. Some new shit to talk about. I know. I think some of the best stuff is stuff where you're not so highly invested in it, making your nut. You know, I I do this with you because it's cathartic for me, and I enjoy talking with you. And yeah. if somebody wants something from it, hey, we appreciate the email that we read from the guy who listened to it. We'd rather people hear yeah, it. Yeah, I've been getting yeah, I've been getting some really nice feedback from friends and from new people and shit like that, which is really cool. Yeah. I think we're just going to kind of keep having these conversations and hopefully people enjoy them mm -hmm. talking about interesting stuff. But yeah, please, I, uh, any of our listeners, please give us feedback on what you're liking. Give it to, how give you feel it to about Matt this shit. because I'm I'm getting mean emails too. So I, I, I want Matt to get the, oh, the, yeah. the, the specific emails. Matt, can you give them your email address? Uh, yeah. Well, here, I think we actually have an email address oh. that people can, uh, can send shit okay. to, which is... Uh, is syncinguppod mm -hmm. at gmail.com. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. That's so send it there. And uh, yeah, we'll have another one of these. We're trying to do them weekly. Obviously, we got like a little, because Ethan's shit got fucked up. We had to delay this one a little <laughs> bit. And I'm also, I'm very much, I was, my plan was that this one, this episode would be our fully released one on iTunes. Uh-huh. 
uh, and we'd be out of SoundCloud previews. I'm not sure. I'm still no, going it's back. Gonna I, I, <laughs> it's going to be Catch-22. It's going to be Catch-22 where we just need to fly a few more missions forever. So and that's that's yeah, fine. Maybe. So it's all good. Well, Matt, <laughs> I'm glad that you had a productive mushroom trip. Was This was a retreat, yes? This was a meditation of some kind? Oh, yeah, this is a meditation retreat. Yeah, no, this is actually one of the most difficult ones I've ever done. It was very hard. Mm. Uh, it was because uh, the the our host... Uh, who's a dear friend wanted us to try doing like a like a deep meditation during the mushrooms and I think I have just I'm just too much of like I don't know I can't just sit still yeah, doing yeah. mushrooms I need to like be out doing shit I guess or something maybe something's wrong with me but it was very difficult for me but like you know here I am uh, you know saying that this illegal substance is good but still it was very difficult well, but at I, the end I, I felt I great. I want to say something about that really quickly. I do. Th- think that it's not a good road to go down to think some of these substances should just be there to alleviate boredom and if you start relying on them as a crutch that can be bad i am a believer in treating them with a certain reverence right the way you might handle oh have to handle a gun maybe that's not the right analogy but you know where i'm going with this where yeah no i don't i definitely don't think that i mean like this was my mushroom trip probably for the year you Mm -hmm. know what i mean like you shouldn't do these things that often no and but also like it's kind of built in like when you do them it's so fucking crazy you're not gonna want to no no it's hard to manage your life (laughs) doing that but i i do think it, it, it maybe maybe we'd be better off as a society not if we completely abstained from I'm just saying general drugs, uh, but if we yeah. but if we just treated them with, with with sort of a with a reverence if we said this is a big deal that we're doing this it, doing this is to do is for a specific purpose beyond just taking the edge off and knowing that might make it a little bit better to manage but that's the closing thought that i have matt let's let's yeah yeah, yeah. we should talk about this more some other time but yeah. for now i think this is <laughs> i think we've, we've covered a lot yeah, of stuff i will i Even... will do a live uh podcast syncing up uh from a press conference while i'm tripping on mushrooms while kevin durant <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that goes well kevin durant is rubbing a matchstick over <laughs> your smooth face <laughs> to determine if you're trustworthy i man see it all so clearly now <laughs> Uh, All right, buddy. Great talking to you. Great talking to you, Matt. See you.